Robert Bobby Jenkins had secured all his items in the trunk at the foot of his bed in the barracks of the Naval Base in Coronado, California. Jenkins served in the ROTC unit at North Carolina State University, where he graduated just a few months ago. Jenkins had been interested in serving since hearing about his father's experiences in World War II. In fact, Jenkins would sneak down from his bedroom on the Friday evening gatherings, sitting with his head between the balusters of the stairway, straining to listen to the tales being woven by his father and uncles. His father was in an elite group of warriors in World War II. His father would talk about his missions as part of the Navy scouts and raiders. To a young child growing up just outside of Raleigh, North Carolina, these wartime tales were better than the B-movies playing at the downtown cinema on Saturday afternoons. Bobby, as he was called, would close his eyes and listen to his father talk about his nightly reconnaissance and surveillance missions. Since his father was a part of the Navy Scouts and Rangers, he was deployed to Normandy to aid in the intelligence gathering for the D-Day invasions. Bobby would envision his father walking along the French country road, his imagination making it look very much like the back country of North Carolina because the back country of North Carolina was where his father's family lived and the only place Bobby had been in his young life. His father would encounter a German patrol. Quickly and quietly, his swashbuckling father would kill each member single-handedly. His eyes would open after his father saved the others accompanying him on the mission. His father would be further along in the story in which he described the armaments that the Germans were erecting along Omaha Beach. He needed somewhere to hide and he chose his mother's family barn. He let himself in the barn and covered himself in hay. The only problem was that she was ordered to muck out the barn that day. It gave his mother quite a startle, not to mention his father too, when the pitchfork she was using found the calf of Bobby's father. He yelled more from being startled from his sleep than from being hurt. Bobby's father, Raymond, then set eyes on Marie. Bobby would roll his eyes at the romantic stuff. Like any child his age, he wanted to hear more about the war. His father continued, stating that Marie's family was instrumental in gathering information that he took back to the camps in England. After only a few short weeks, Raymond Jenkins was off to England with a promise to return to the small town to court Marie. Jenkins stood at the trunk at the end of his bed, recalling all of these happy memories. Now he was about to be part of Hell Week. In 1961, John F. Kennedy spoke to Congress about a need for special operations and unconventional warfare units. While putting a man on the moon drew more attention, Kennedy's announcement that it was his intention to spend $100 million to strengthen special operations of the armed forces by creating elite unconventional wartime units went virtually unnoticed by the public. Kennedy's speech was merely the public acknowledgement of what had originally started during the Korean War. All of this didn't matter to Bobby Jenkins. He knew that he wanted to be part of the Navy SEALs ever since he discussed the possibility with recruiters and, of course, hearing about his father's adventures. Now, here he was, about to partake in Hell Week. If he passed Motivation Week, the proper naval term for the week ahead, Jenkins would have 21 more weeks of arduous training before he would become a full-fledged Navy SEAL. 
Although Jenkins was an officer, they were bunking with enlisted men, as all the prior classes had done. There was no distinction between officers or enlisted. If anything, Jenkins knew the officers would end up getting the worst of it. Jenkins finished putting his items in the trunk and decided to place a call to his parents before the week began. The call didn't last long. He wanted them to know he arrived safely and that he was anxiously waiting for the training to begin. On his way back to the barracks, he was instructed a number of times to get some sleep. Upon returning to his barracks, he did lie down on his bunk, but sleep was avoiding him. He wasn't alone. Everyone in the barracks couldn't sleep as they anxiously awaited the beginning of Hell Week at midnight. Everyone had eaten dinner and returned to the barracks only to be called out at 2200 hours for a roll call. When it was determined everyone had arrived and was in their proper place, the men were ordered to return to their barracks for a last chance to catch some shut eye. There was a lot of emphasis on sleep leading up to the beginning of Hell Week. The reason for such emphasis was that after midnight, the next five days would be an adventure aimed at keeping every man in the class awake for five days straight. The purpose of such an exercise was to prove to each man that he could withstand the physical demands being placed upon them with very little, if any, sleep. Jenkins stayed in his greens, which was full combat dress. He only removed his armaments so he could lie down comfortably. While he managed to only doze a little in the first hour, he did manage to fall asleep shortly after that. He wasn't exactly sure when that sound sleep occurred. He just remembers being rudely awakened at 12.30 in the morning by the Hell Week instructors who entered the barracks clanging metal trash bin lids together, throwing fireworks and making as much noise as they could. After being awakened this way, Jenkins and the men of the barracks were ordered to report to their designated area in full combat dress in three minutes. This quickly became the routine for the week and was formerly known as a breakout. There were plenty more breakouts in store in the following days. Hell Week had officially began. In addition to the full combat dress, referred to as full greens, you were also required to have your life jacket and paddle. Heaven help the man who forgot them. Standing in line, waiting for the next order, Jenkins found his adrenaline pumping. He tried to calm himself. It was going to be a long five days, and he would need every ounce of adrenaline he could muster for later in the week. He began to wonder if he could save the adrenaline. Hoo-yah! A cadet yelled as he ran to join his mates. There were many enthusiastic answers to the call. Jenkins smiled as he realized a hoo escaped his lips as well. The instructors appeared in front of the men. Drop and give me a hundred push-ups, the first command came. Jenkins was down on the ground before you could say his name, giving it his all. Give me a hundred sit-ups now, the instructor screamed as he walked among the men to see if anyone was slowing down or being lazy. Start running around the field and don't stop until I tell you, the next command came from somewhere behind Jenkins. He started off running with all the other men. Then they repeated the push-ups, jumping jacks, and sit-ups, followed by the order to run down to the ocean. The run around the field and to the ocean required the toting along of their paddles and life jackets. When they got to the beach, they were ordered to cool off with a swim. Life jackets on and paddles in their hands, 
the men of UDT Class 37 went into the ocean. The water was cold compared to the air temperature and especially cold against the heated body temperatures from the run. After the swim in the ocean, they were ordered to run back to their barracks. They were ordered to dry off and stay there to wait for the next command. What time is it? One asked as they reached the barracks. It's only 0300, and another answered. Is that all? The first man said. A few men laughed at the man's disappointed response. Jenkins got out of his wet clothes and shoes, and he placed them over his trunk to help them dry out quicker. Lying down on his bunk, Jenkins wondered if they were done for the night. He just dozed off when another breakout occurred. It was only 15 minutes since they had returned from their first breakout. They were to be back on Company Street in line and awaiting their next order. The men quickly got dressed in their full greens. Some were smart enough to bring a second set of gear, including Jenkins. He grabbed his life jacket, still wet from the swim, and his paddle. After more sit-ups and push-ups, the men were ordered back to the barracks, only to return within two minutes with their green helmets. As they were walking back to the barracks, David, who was in the bunk next to Jenkins, said, this doesn't make sense. We have our helmets. Jenkins gave a quick chuckle. I think he means just your helmets. No way, David cried out. Another man in front of Jenkins laughed. What's the matter, David? Haven't you seen other men naked before? Shut up, John, David answered back. I just hope they don't make us swim in the ocean naked. The three men laughed. The man in front of Jenkins turned around. John Spencer. Bobby Jenkins. David Turner, it's nice to meet you, Jenkins said in his quaint southern accent. Well, get you all southern hospitality-like, John chided him. Jenkins laughed. Get used to it, John. It's the only voice I have. Both men laughed as they entered the barracks. They stripped down to nothing but their green helmets and went back out to Company Street, forming a line. The men were ordered to march to an area where metal grates were in the ground. Ordered to assume a prone position. Jenkins, Spencer, and Turner, along with all the men, were pelted with cold water. The cold water felt like nails as it pricked their bare skin. After what seemed like an eternity, they were ordered to flip over on their backs. They received another round of drenching as the drill instructors shouted over them. This continued for about an hour, constantly flipping from cradling the metal grates face down to lying on their backs until they were released to go back to their barracks. Some opted for a hot shower before dressing and tried to grab some sleep. That didn't last long. The third breakout of the night started just 15 minutes later. As Jenkins was briskly walking to Company Street, John Spencer joined him. This is getting old really quickly. Jenkins laughed. Just think, only four more days of this. John gave a little grunt as they started to hustle to join the line. They didn't want to be the last in line. The third breakout of the night was to double time it down to the ocean in full gear with life jacket and paddle in hand. Some in the company had begun to grumble a bit as they realized that they were about to be reintroduced to the cold ocean water for the second time that night. Jenkins and Spencer, who was also an officer, said nothing. Both knew doing so would only attract them more attention and not in a good way. The men were ordered into the surf where they were to wade in the ocean waves. 
As a wave washed by and hit the men at mid-cap, waiting seemed like a simple thing to do. Some began to smile as they thought that only their boots were going to get wet. The smiles quickly disappeared when they were ordered to lie down on their bellies, holding their paddles. Jenkins and Spencer, as well as a few others, had quickly put their life jackets on when they were heading into the water. Even though that drew some chiding from a few others, Jenkins and Spencer were first to be waiting on their bellies while the majority of the others were being dressed down for not being prepared. After 10 minutes of waiting and fighting the waves on their bellies, they flipped onto their backs. This continued for another hour before they were ordered to sit on the beach. Wet from head to toe, the drill instructors ordered the men to throw sand over their backs as they were assaulted verbally by the instructors. If the sand hadn't been clinging to every inch of his body, Jenkins might have thought this was a bit of fun. Spencer was sitting behind him, and the two were trying to cover each other in sand. After what seemed like an eternity, the men were ordered to double-time it back to the barracks. Jenkins, Spencer, and Turner were leading the way on the double-time back. All the men took hot showers to rid themselves of the sand that had coated the clothes and just about every inch of their body. Jenkins spread out his wet clothes, changing into his other dress greens that were still damp from the first breakout. It was 0430, and he decided to dive into his bunk to catch some shut-eye before breakfast. He felt like he had just closed his eyes when the call came. The day's activities were just as rigorous as the night activities, but consisted of seven men crews and one 150-pound boat. After breakfast, the crews were assigned and the men retrieved their boat. The morning was filled with exercises, moving the boat through makeshift obstacle courses. There was a constant competition between the crews for precious points. No one knew what the reward was for garnering the most points, but everyone hoped it was sleep or maybe the privilege to miss a breakout or two. Spencer and Jenkins were on competing crews. The two established leadership roles quickly among their men. After having lunch, the men headed over to the swimming pool for more competition. The competitions were basically whatever the instructors could dream up. One competition consisted of who could carry their boats and paddles across the length of the pool the fastest. That would be repeated, but the second time the introduction of weights occurred. Then there was a competition of swimming four laps of the pool in a tag team relay. The competitions continued to just 30 minutes before mustering for dinner. After dinner came a four-mile beach run, which also counted in the competition. Upon the return from the beach run and a quick cleanup session, they were required to attend a briefing session. Jenkins was thankful for the briefing session, as now there would be some kind of purpose or goal that he could focus his mind on with each drill. Seated in chairs listening to the instructions, Jenkins realized the only difference was that they would know in advance what physical activity they would be doing in the first breakout. The crews were instructed to carry their boats to the ocean and each mission for the rest of Hell Week would be to paddle or carry their boats to some designated location. The sole purpose of Hell Week was limited to no sleep and all the physical activity the drill instructors could pack 
into one 24-hour day. Each night during the week contained no fewer than five breakouts and each day consisted of various exercises from swimming to obstacle courses to calisthenics to paddling their boats against the tide. Each day brought everyone to near exhaustion and some men broke. They would return from a breakout to see one less trunk and one more open bunk in the barracks. Each crew had casualties. With each man lost, the boat seemed to become heavier and the paddling more arduous. Jenkins kept giving himself pep talks and placing small goals to accomplish to keep his mind on task. His men became dependent on Jenkins' pep talks too. One afternoon, after a particularly hard session, Jenkins returned to the barracks and opened his trunk. He looked inside to find a trophy that he had won as a child. That trophy was won playing Little League Baseball. He was voted most valuable player because of his leadership. He picked up the trophy as he recalled how he felt when he received it. He placed it on the bunk. He quietly went to each man of his crew, asking them to meet him outside in two minutes for a brief talk. While some had hoped to catch a few minutes of shut-eye, each one walked outside at the appointed time. Jenkins was the last to join them. In his hand was the trophy. I just wanted to tell each of you how proud I am of your effort. To help us stay focused, I'm introducing our own little competition. This trophy, I hope, will make it into each of your hands at some point in the remaining two days. I won't decide who gets the trophy after each breakout or session. The group will decide. Jenkins gave the trophy to the men to check it out. There will be times when each of us won't be at our best. In those times, someone is going to have to pick up the slack, and that person will be our team's most valuable player. Each man knew what Jenkins was doing. He was introducing the crew to small victories in hopes that he would not lose another man and to keep his team intact. Each man was grateful for Jenkins' leadership, and each man looked at Jenkins with a smile on their face as they accepted the challenge. Let's get ready for the next task, men, Jenkins said as the trophy was handed back to him. They all headed back inside and they prepared for their next breakout. The week became a blur of breakouts. Each man would reach exhaustion and savor a quick five or ten minute nap whenever they could find the opportunity. Those cat naps would postpone the exhaustion and allow them to persevere through the next session. After each breakout, the trophy would be given to one of Jenkins' men. Each man felt a bit of adrenaline and appreciated the efforts that were being recognized. It became something that they looked forward to at the end of each breakout. Jenkins did not lose another crew member the rest of the week. Friday night came, and the men had realized earlier in the day just how much Jenkins had focused his energy on helping them succeed. Jenkins had indeed focused his energy on his crew, which in turn helped him to persevere. Friday night was the ultimate test of endurance and comprised of a hunt that would last the whole night. It amounted to traveling up and down the beach and ocean to find clues that led them to the next clue and ultimately to the reward for their efforts. Most of the night's journey would be occurring on the ocean and beach. There were excursions into the base as instructors replanted clues to stay ahead of the crews. As they were putting their boots in the water for the third time, one of Jenkinson's crew announced, I just hope that reward is a bed and a couple hours of sleep. All the men laughed as they knew that was not going to occur. Friday night was particularly hard for Jenkins. 
While all of the men at some point in time had hallucinations, Jenkins seemed to relive certain experiences. They started out positive as they paddled down to retrieve the next clue. He zoned out for a few minutes, recalling how proud he was of his father when he organized the first union in Raleigh. He recalled those stories of his father's accomplishment in World War II. As the night continued and his exhaustion increased, his hallucinations involved his sister. It was a turbulent time in the South, and his family felt the grief very personally. The wound was still fresh, and even though Jenkins had managed to push through the rawness of the wound, it weighed heavily on his mind. He tried to suppress it and push it back, promising himself he would deal with it at week's end, but the demon was not about to let that happen. Jenkins' sister was two years older than he was. She was accepted into college, a small rural college in the South. She was beautiful and her beauty shone through with each smile and each accomplishment. Jenkins recalled his goodbye to his sister when she drove off to college in the fall. But the serenity of that moment, of the embrace they shared, was shattered. Suddenly he was walking into the living room of their modest house in Raleigh. His mother was seated on a favorite chair while his father was trying to embrace her as she mourned the death of her daughter. Her wailing could be heard outside and Jenkins remembers running up the walk when it dawned on him that it was his mother that was in severe pain. His father looked up to see Jenkins frozen in the doorway as he watched his mother shudder from the pain and sobbing. His father stood and walked over to his son. He led him to the couch and they sat down. His mother was beginning to pull herself together, feeling that she had to be strong for her son. Then his father recanted what he was told. Jenkins' sister was killed on her way to class that morning. There was a clash between two groups of protesters, a racial clash, and someone had a gun. She was shot as she was hurrying to class. She was not involved in the protest, even though she had been active in petitioning for equal rights. The two groups who were fighting were not even enrolled at the school. As this hallucination continued, Jenkins could feel himself losing control of his emotions. He gasped for air and he tried to quell the sobs he felt coming on as he heard his father's voice telling him his sister had been killed. The gasp for air shook him back to reality. He tried to shake his head to clear the thought and noticed he gave another gasp and another effort to quell his sobs. Bobby, one of the men started, pull it together, damn it. We're going to make it through this. Another of his men reached over and raised his paddle out of the water, placing it on Jenkins's lap. We got this leg, sir. He then began rowing harder. We got your back this time, sir. They all said in turn as they began to row harder. In the midst of their care and encouragement, Jenkins let go an agonizing scream as he faced the demon in his mind and exercised it. This is for you, sissy, he screamed. He then dug his paddle into the water and pushed past his exhaustion, rejoining his men in their effort to obtain the reward. Jenkins's crew worked hard throughout the night. Each time one of them faltered, another member of the crew would step up their game and rally around the faltered one. Jenkins and his men were the first to secure the award, literally only 100 yards ahead of John Spencer's crew. Both crews were told to double-time it back to the barracks where they could shower and change. Then they could fall into their bunks for an hour. They were then to report to Company Street at 0700. 
The crews did as ordered. On the run back to the barracks, one of the men asked Jenkins, Sir, if you don't mind me asking, who's Sissy? My sister, Jenkins said. She was killed walking to class on a small college campus in North Carolina. Jenkins looked over at the man who asked, and Jenkins could see his embarrassment. It was a race riot, but she was just walking to class. The sad part is that those rioting were not enrolled at the college. The KKK had stirred up shit, and my sister was caught in the middle. Jenkins cleared his throat. That was at the beginning of the year. I guess I'm still working through the pain. That's understandable. This was all the man could muster. The men went straight to the showers. Jenkins stood there with the hot water pouring down on his head. He envisioned the fatigue and emotions he was heavily experiencing washing from him and down the drain. He was so entranced in this meditation that he didn't notice that all the members of his crew showered quickly and disappeared from the barracks. A few minutes later, Jenkins turned the water off and noticed he was alone. He didn't think much of it. He thought that he would see his crew in their bunks and snoring deeply in sleep. He was surprised to see that John Spencer and his crew were the only men asleep. Jenkins walked to his bunk and sat down. The door to the barracks opened and his crew walked in with the trophy. The man who had asked about Jenkins' sister was holding it. With the rest of the men following him, he walked up to Jenkins. Sir, we voted while you were in the shower. We decided that you're the most valuable player. He handed the trophy to Jenkins, who stood to accept it. I think you carried me more on this one. I, I think you all deserve it, Jenkins said. No, sir. You carried us for most of the week. Without you, I'm not sure we all would be here. Jenkins swallowed hard. He was so proud of his crew and what they had achieved. Thank you. <clears throat> Jenkins cleared his throat. Now let's just get some sleep before the next breakout. Jenkins sat down on his bed, still holding the trophy. He felt someone staring at him. John had witnessed the exchange. Jenkins looked at John, who smiled at him, nodding his head perceptively. Both men then gave in to what was left of the hour of sleep promised by the instructors. A short 45 minutes later, Jenkins, Spencer, Turner, and the rest of the men found themselves standing on Company Street. They were informed that they needed to complete a full set of exercises and a four-mile run before mustering for lunch. Each man began their jog over to the field where they were drilled throughout the exercise. Instead of the drill instructors commanding the men, the instructors called on various men to name the exercise in which they would engage. A small degree of silliness began to become infectious as each man began to realize that Hell Week was coming to an end. The instructors allowed the silliness and when they couldn't bear it any longer, sent the men on their final four-mile run. Spencer and Jenkins led the run at a slow but steady pace. They ended the run at the mess hall. The men went through the line, filling their trays with food. They were surprised when the drill instructors arrived to order the men to report to Company Street at 1300 hours. The rise in morale that the men were feeling started to fall as they began to think that Hell Week wasn't over after all. Slowly, the men finished their meal. At the appointed time, they were all standing at attention in full sun in full gear. At ease, the drill instructor started. He paused for a moment, looking over the men who had survived the week of training. Hell week is officially over. 
you could almost hear a collective sigh of relief. You have two hours to clear out of the barracks. You will report to one of us in our offices at the appointed time posted on the barracks announcement board for further instruction. Dismissed. Jenkins turned to Turner and Spencer. We made it. They shook hands and hugged. Jenkins embraced each man on his crew, just as Spencer had done. There was a subdued celebration, mostly in the form of laughter and jokes, as the men packed up their gear. Each man reported as assigned to their instructors at their appointed time. Jenkins was waiting in the outer office as Spencer walked out of the instructor's office. Jenkins stood up looking at John. Well, SEAL training for the next 21 weeks, John extended his hand. Hope to see you there. Jenkins shook his hand. I'll let you know. He walked into the office and shut the door. John Spencer walked back to the barracks to retrieve his gear. He wanted to wait to hear where Jenkins would be heading. He checked his area to make sure he hadn't missed anything while packing. He wished others well as they returned for their gear to head off to their next assignments. Some of the men chose to stay as members of the underwater demolition team. John was beginning to wonder what, Jen what was taking Jenkins so long. Jenkins left the instructor's office and he headed directly to a payphone. He deposited the dime needed to play, press zero. Operator, I'd like to place a collect call to Raymond Jenkins in North Carolina and Raleigh. Jenkins gave the phone number to the operator and the phone on the other end was answered. After Raymond and J Jenkins accepted the call, Robert Jenkins said, Dad, I made it through Hell Week. I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. Jenkins pulled the phone from his ear as his dad screamed his congratulations. I start the 21 weeks of training on Monday. Jenkins smiled as he listened to his father tell his mother. He could hear the pride in his father's voice. He wondered if someday his child would be poking his head through the balusters to hear him telling war stories in the future. After he finished his call, Jenkins walked back to the barracks. He was looking forward to a long sleep. He walked in to find John waiting for him. John didn't have to ask. SEAL training. Looks like we're going to be good friends, John said. They gathered their things and headed out to the waiting bus. The other SEAL trainees were loading the bus to begin their next adventure. Right now, all Jenkins wanted to do was sleep. He sat down, putting his duffel bag against the window, and he rested his head against it. Within a few seconds, he and everyone else on the bus was asleep dreaming of their next adventure.